Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, welcome to Dinosaur's History. It's that time of the week when we celebrate one of the other of the history hits stable. The brilliant specialist history podcast we offer the people who are such big fans of history that they want more and more of the particular era in which they specialize. This one is gone medieval. It is presented by Matt Lewis and Kat Jarman. They divide up the Middle Ages between them. There's plenty to go around. And this is an episode I know you're going to love. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Gone Medieval. I'm Dr. Kat Jarman. For many people, history is something you learn at school or in a museum, read about in books, or maybe get through one of your favourite podcasts. But for others... History might be accessed in quite a different way. I'm talking about computer games and especially the huge popularity of historical gaming. But exactly what goes into these games? How are the fictional words created and how much care, if any at all, do they take to represent a historical period realistically? In this episode, we're going to be talking about one of the most famous of them all, the Assassin's Creed franchise developed and created by Ubisoft. Its latest version of the game, that came out in 2020, is called AC Valhalla and is set in the Viking Age. Something that's unique about this particular game is that it also exists in a version that aims to be educational, the Discovery Tour, where you both play the game but also learn about the history behind it, as well as how the game was created in the first place. I'm really delighted to have with me today to talk about this, Maxime Duran, a historian who is the World Design Director for Ubisoft's Discovery Tours. Maxime, thank you so much for joining us on Gone Medieval today. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Great. And I should just for the record here say that I, I we have worked together in the past because I did actually work as a consultant when Assassin's Creed Valhalla Discovery Tour was being made as one of your subject experts. So I've seen the process a little bit from the inside, but it's great to have you here to talk about it. Thank you. I was so delighted that we, we collaborated on this project together that if we can shed even more light about it, I'm really happy to do so. Yeah, fantastic. So some of our listeners will be very well acquainted with the game and how it works. But for those who maybe don't know it so well, could you just very briefly explain what is the Assassin's Creed franchise and, and what's the Discovery Tour and, and how does this all fit together? Yes, definitely. Uh, so it's Assassin's Creed is uh, it's quite a huge franchise that, that was based and rooted originally with the video game series, which is still its most popular feature. Uh, that started back in 2007. 
And what was super iconic about this franchise is that it started the open world genre in video games. What does that mean? It means that people with the graphics of back in 2007 could walk everywhere, they could climb over buildings and, and really work into a 3D environment. So that was something that was really particular for that game at the time period. But also the very specific thing about that franchise is that it started as a historical video game. So it was originally set in the Crusades time period uh, in the, uh, the Levant region. And then with time, the series evolved and the games continue to look into different historical settings. With the Renaissance period, we move back in time sometimes with ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. And so we covered a lot of time periods. And, and the latest one is called Assassin's Creed Valhalla and takes place into the Viking Age. So that's where and what is Assassin's Creed in, in a big nutshell. But then there is the Discovery Tour, which is something that evolved with time. And it's really a child born from Assassin's Creed. So Discovery Tour is a video game too, but it's an educational one on purpose, I'd say. The biggest difference is that Assassin's Creed is really an action-adventure game where we are playing as an avatar, we're fighting our way uh, through a storyline, and we're with the Discovery Tour. It's really conflict-free. We have worlds to immerse ourselves with, and the goal is to learn about history and archaeology and really the science behind so we reuse the same environments, but we very two different purposes. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to work on both of these franchises, and I'm still uh, stemming the uh, Discovery Tour franchise at the moment. So your job title is you're the World Design Director, but you've actually been working for the franchise for quite a long time in different roles. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do now and how you got there, the different roles you've had within it as well? Originally, I really was hired as a historic consultant. I was a historian myself. Uh, 18th century specialist in colonial America. And this is really where I started uh, at Ubisoft. But with time, I basically reused my, you know, my toolbox that I learned as a historian and adapted it to various time periods. And thankfully, because we work with other historians and, and external consultants, I've been just able to continue to work with the same method. But right now, the idea is that I direct this franchise that's called Discovery Tour. So with the help of a producer, we look into what are the possible scenarios to create educational opportunities out of Assassin's Creed games. That can be with video games, but that can also be in terms of museum experiments where we are creating and highlighting artifacts and collections that are merged with digital environments to create really something that's different in terms of uh, museum visits. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I do historic research a little bit, but I mostly work with professionals and amazing people just like you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a really interesting and exciting part of, uh, of my job. It's that we get access to the most accurate and the most recent type of research uh, outcomes. So in terms of developing the AC Valhalla game, you were quite heavily involved in actually designing parts of that in the Discovery Tour especially, weren't you? What, what were your sort of roles in that particular game? So when we create a game like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, we try to understand history to create a game environment. So the, you know, the, diff the biggest difference is that we're not reproducing the past. We're not trying to reconstitute the past. We're trying to make a game environment that's based on it, that's inspired by it. So what does it mean? It means that as a historian, uh, the role is to help teams get answers to their questions. What is going to get them excited? Which are the landmarks? Who are the historical characters? 
what do people do on a day-to-day -day basis? What are their beliefs? It's so interesting because we have to understand a full-time period to be able to portray it in the game. Although the game is going to take artistic liberties that don't make any sense on the historical perspective. Uh, for instance, and, and this is one of the many examples that we'll find in any Assassin's Creed games, heights of monuments will most of the time be higher in the game than it will be in reality. Uh, and this is because it's a game where we can climb. And because we want to climb, we want things that are high, high enough to climb at least. When it comes to the Discover Tour, which is the educational part, we want to tell the truth because this is what we want to tell in, in classes. We want people to understand the limits of, of different mediums, like video games. But we also want to tell you know, important historic elements. So we explain both. We explain uh, where we got the information from and how we adapted it as well, which I think is, is super interesting because there's so much magic that's happening when creating a video game and so many people would like to know how, how it's done. And there's, there are not that many resources out there unless you want to graduate in, in game design or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt very lucky when we first started the, the collaboration because I, I got to sit in the presentation that you gave explaining exactly the process behind it and showing some of the, the previous games and some of the really quite stunning imagery and how you'd recreated buildings and all of that, which was uh, fantastic to see. And but let's talk a little bit more about the, the Valhalla game. So this game is set in 9th century England and in Scandinavia, basically. And it's incorporating quite a lot of the real history of real what's going on there, which is which is why I got involved in it, because that's my, my time period as well. I mean, how do you sort of then go about deciding where you want to sort of have the real elements? So you have places like York or Jorvik, for example, you have sort of towns in, in Scandinavia, you've got all these different places, you've got a map, which is sort of England, but with a bit of creative license. How do you really go about making those decisions? It's, it's a complex process. Uh, really, there's, I don't think there's any game that I've worked on where from the beginning of the, of the project to the end, which is about two to four years in, in general, where we, have, we come with a very clear idea at the beginning and in the end it's the same thing. That never, never happens. It's really a matter of the inspiration that the team will get from the historical elements. But it's also, there are also two other elements that are super important and crucial to the outcome. For instance, with the Viking Age, we knew that the historical perspective is that Vikings are traders, they're, it's complex, they're widespread across the map. Uh, we could talk to, have talked about them in very different places. But the team, I think, wanted to tell that storyline from the point of view of Alfred the Great, because there was that moment in, in human history that was interesting, where there's a clash with Christianity, there's a clash with the creation of a kingdom of England with Alfred, or at least an idea of it. There's a turning point in history at that point, at that moment. So that was the historical interest for the team. But when it comes to the environments, the team also wants a lot of variety. So when they decided to take the region they took in, in Norway for the game, on the historical perspective, it was really because they wanted to relate it to Harald Fairhair. Whereas we know that, or at least the team knew that the most important locations from the Viking Age were not in the region that the game was looking at. But the visual and elements, the fjords, the mountains that the, the team wanted to provide to show the, this kind of austerity for the region were only visually relatable with the western fjords in Norway. So this is why the team took that decision. 
So this is where we see that history can be a source of inspiration, but then there's the artistic desire, the narrative desire of the team that will also adapt the way that the team will make their decisions. And you do have some objects and sites and artifacts, especially in the game, that are just really quite striking representations, and they're they're very very accurate. And and I know that in all your games, um, for certainly for some of those, you do go to quite some lengths to actually make them really really accurate. And um, I think one of them in in the Valhalla game was the actual crypt at Repton, uh, the monastery, the, the the sort of central part of that crypt, uh, which is one that I've I've researched, I've worked on for for quite long time and actually that bit in the middle it's just like being there it's really quite uh, it's quite impressive you've got obviously taken liberties around it but the central core to it is is very very real and I mean how do you actually do that practically when you decide that you know we want to put this particular element in what what's in the process to to get that artifact to all that you know site come to life in the way that you do it's a matter of of, again, multiple facts, but the, the other element that I didn't answer to before and that which will answer this one is the technical aspect. We cannot reproduce everything, so we try to make choices that are impactful. Uh, in the case of Repton, I think the, the funny bit with it is that the team visited the location, they visited the crypt, and they, they went on many places. They went to York, they went to uh, Norway, to, to various islands as well, to get a, a good sense and a good inspiration so yeah, there's there's going to be a question of impact on the narrative track. Uh, Repton, I think, was was quite important. Maybe visually, not as big, not as striking as as York would be in the game, or as Winchester or or London, for instance, uh, because they're they're much bigger playgrounds. But the the historical relevancy is also super important. And recreating, reconstituting artifacts in the game is is part of the believability process. So we'll <laughs> we'll see some of the houses, for instance attached houses that are very accurate they're very close to what we know in terms of archaeology there will be a lot of artifacts that are real ones that will that the team will recreate in the game we actually don't need to do photogrammetry to have them in the game we we just need a couple pictures because photogrammetry is a very recent tool for video game making or for our archaeology and our but with video games we are originally were always creating assets from the ground we did not need photogrammetry before what it creates how it, it changes the way we're working is that it adds more authenticity for instance walls in the game are the result of a photogrammetry that was done by the team in england because it added a sense of chaos in the patterns that is not done by a human generally or as easily maybe one last item that i could add to this is that the artifacts in the game are usually scoped much bigger than in real life and there's a good reason for that. It's because if it's as small as in real life, we won't see it because the, the game, the, the player's avatar is taking a lot of place on the screen. And so the lens through which we see the game world is much different than our own eyes. That's a really good point. Now, I mean, one of the things related to this, uh, I guess one of the criticisms that people might have of games like this is that a player or user of the game might not necessarily always know what is real and what isn't. And uh, some might think that that's then too misleading and it might be sort of actually creating problems in that people think, well, this is the Viking Age and because X, Y and Z are, are all real, what about all the other things? Um, and so it sort of causes a, a sense of confusion. Do you, do you think that's a valid criticism or do you think that's a problem or do you think that your users don't really make that make those mistakes i think we are aware of it to a certain extent 
there is a sense of responsibility on the on the game company side, and this is why we hire and work with historians. We work with so many museums to try to understand the weight of our decisions. But ultimately, because it's a video game that's been that's being made, there is that the license that is going to be taken by the game. I'd say we're we're lucky because the company has accepted that we created Discover Tours, uh, so that these are I mean they are the educational version that is given for free to all players and. They're used quite a lot by players. I think they, they enjoy that compliment very much. And also there's something that's super interesting that I see as a historian is that because people have played a video game, most of the time they're interested to learn more about the time period. Then there's much, there are much more chances that they won't decide to go into a, a museum to visit it, uh, read a book, or even just do a Google research. That's the very least minimum. And this is maybe not something that they would have done unless they had played a video game, because we don't have all the same backgrounds. As a historian, of course, I love reading. I love, I love to have complexity, but I acknowledge that this is not the case for everyone. And we live in a society of image. And, and what's better than having a video game where you have the freedom to go wherever you want. You have the freedom to choose for your own self in many situations. And you can take time if you want to, to visit a monastery. You don't, you're, you don't have the rush of a narrative, for instance, from, from a, a movie or a TV series where you cannot go behind the scene. You cannot take the time to enjoy that. You're limited by, by what's happening at, on the screen. Um, so personally, I, I really feel like it's a form of, of entertainment that's very interesting. And I'm happy to see the results the way they are. Yeah, they do, as you say, they, you know, it's that idea that it acts as a springboard for people to to go and, and check and test and find out more, which is, is why I personally think it's it's not an issue. You're coming from it from the other side, from the academic side. Uh, I think people do generally understand, or at least I hope they do. You, you see, one one thing that's curious is that I, think, I believe as, as scientists, we oftentimes forget that at one point in our life, there was a spark that got us into that field in the first place. And I guess it's easy to become judgmental with time and forget where we came from. But that's the reality for millions of people. Absolutely. And I think and that's the key, key, the number of people as well. So, I mean, I don't know if you have these sort of figures at the top of your head, but we're talking about a really vast number of people, aren't we, playing the games? I mean, do you have any idea how many people roughly play AC Valhalla, for example? Well, numbers are not out with AC Valhalla, but overall with the franchise ever since 2007, we talk about more than 155 million people just for the video games. That's, yeah, so it's, that's it's 155 people. million people. I mean, that's <laughs> it, insane, <laughs> really, to think about. Even if I look at one of the latest partnership that we did with an ex- exhibition on ancient Egypt, half a million people visited the exhibition. And that exhibition was highlighting artifacts from ancient Egypt, uh, in an archaeological museum, but with digital environments made with the game. And that really enhanced the experiment. That's half a million people that were attracted to that museum. This is After Dark. Myths, misdeeds and the paranormal. The podcast that takes you to the shadiest corners of the past, unpicking history's spookiest, strangest and most sinister stories. I'm Maddie Pelling. And I'm Anthony Delaney. Join us every Monday and Thursday and we'll take a look at the darker side of history from haunted pubs to Houdini to witch trials and arsenic-laced breakfasts. Follow After Dark, Myths, Misdeeds and the Paranormal wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. 
talking about, so you mentioned museums and working museums uh, there. Can you explain something about how you are, how are you collaborating with museums and how, what sort of, what sort of ways are you trying to, to reach new people and work with museums and, and other institutions like that? Yeah, we, we work with museums and institutions on various levels. First, when we try to do the, re, the original research for our video games, uh, we try to get access to information, to articles. We hire professionals to come and, and do and do presentations to the team. We record these and, and use these to inform the team. Then as we're as we're making either Assassin's Creed Valhalla or when we did the Discovery Tour Viking Age, we work hand in hand with museums to highlight their collections and their and their knowledge within the Discovery Tour. And we also are trying whenever it's possible to plan exhibitions. Uh, so for instance, we announced that we uh, we will be a major partner of the future exhibition in Winchester, which is going to really take a look, a deep look at uh, King Alfred's reign and the time period. We just, I mean, very recently, uh, I participated in the Twitch stream at uh, the Jarvik Viking Center. Uh, and so these are all elements because we've been in discussion with these museums for some time, because they invested time and and their artifacts in our discovery tour and in exchange we also wanted to to help them promote the, their cultural mission to attract people to their museum and so they can really enhance their knowledge and their curiosity. So I wanted to go back a little bit uh, to the AC Valhalla game um, and the fact that you're reaching so many people. You talked a little bit about this idea that you have a bit of a responsibility um, towards what you are actually presenting to people. I mean, when, in terms of the Viking Age, were there any particular stereotypes that you were keen to avoid or any particular topics that you were keen to, to sort of clarify or represent in a particular way? Yeah, I'd say yes, definitely. I think the a lot of people are attracted to the Viking Age in the same way they're attracted to other historical periods because of these enduring myths, uh, which I don't want to promote, but uh, a lot of people are attracted to the Viking era in Assassin's Creed Valhalla because of this idea of raiding. But then the team uses that opportunity to go deeper and try to demystify the time period and to give more complexity to these people, to their beliefs, to the complex geopolitics of the time period between Viking raiders uh, and the Anglo-Saxon and Britain people that that are on the island, for instance. Of course, we're in the 21st century, so the question of, of the women presence is a very important one. As historian, of course, we cannot be blind to that to that question, even if we don't have all the answers we would like to have. But the game has to make a stance, and so in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, players have the ability to def to define if they want to be Ivor male or female at the beginning of the game, and then there will be explanations while we're playing that game to understand why that choice matters and how it, it can exist. These are some of the, the the heavy decisions that the team is is taking. We try to understand the importance of slavery, for instance, in the Viking Age, and try to highlight it in the game. But of course, so these are sometimes very sensitive subjects, and the way fans or, or players might be expecting slavery and the way it's going to appear in the game can be very different. So we have to be mindful also that if we are going to go into one direction and explaining it historically in the narrative of the game, it has to be well done. Otherwise, we might as well avoid it. 
I think that's a that's a brilliant answer, definitely. So relating to that then uh, a little bit about things like anachronisms, so things that are really not quite in place in that time period, maybe because you're putting in something that's uh, a bit earlier or you're putting in something that's quite modern. Is that something that you were deliberately trying to avoid or were you not so worried about that? Because, I mean, there are some obvious ones. I think you've got uh, the Sutton Hoo ship uh, mound, for example, which is not Viking age, it's, it's pre-Viking age. Uh, so that must be quite deliberate. But but more in general, you know, how do you treat that particular challenge? Well, it's a, it, I'd say <laughs> again, there's no there's no fine line between if something is going to be totally historic or not. I'd say with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I have I have so many examples of some of the elements that are super historically accurate that people will not notice, and some of the other that are so obvious that they're not accurate. At least from a historian perspective, one of them is the is fortresses and castles. I remember having had that discussion very early on with the artistic team, whereas they looked at mutts and baileys from the time period in, in, in wooden fortresses. And I could see in their eyes that it wouldn't make it, <laughs> that wouldn't make it into the game. So, and so ultimately what we have is, is kind of a Norman, Norman and with castle with 19th century restoration stuck inside. And that's, that's a on purpose choice from the team. There are lots of Roman ruins some of them are, are quite exaggerated in the game, and, and others are based on, on historical knowledge, but where we don't have as much uh, archaeological information. For instance, the amphitheater in, in uh, Jorvik in York is one of them. But the idea behind having all of these Roman ruins or representations with these huge statues, for instance, is for players to understand very quickly that these are Roman remains. And when we get from one village to another, everything feels different. And we can see if one village is uh, is more Anglo-Saxon, or if it if it feels more like it's a, an old Roman ruin. And now, is it occupied by Viking raiders, or is it occupied by other kind of of people? These are elements that the game doesn't explain, but shows very quickly to players. And so, when we're playing, we very quickly get that sense of being in one place specific in the game world, and we know where we're at because it is unique. So, I guess that's. That's one of those choices that you do have to make because it's got to it's got to make sense to people, and a, a lot of the real history doesn't necessarily make quite as much sense, I suppose. Yeah, in a, and, anyway, and, and and linking back to that, ultimately we cannot do everything. So the game makers want to have this huge map where we can play for for so many hours, but we cannot reproduce everything. So there will have there will be shortcuts between elements that we we see that are reused between locations. You mentioned earlier that this this uh, game or the franchise has been uh, going for quite a long time, since 2007, I, I believe. And do you uh, know, or have you seen, or can you see in it now, whether it's changed how it treats history since then? Are there any big changes when it first came out, as of the first version of the game, and what the sort of latest iteration, or is it not really changed? Now it has changed uh, for certain. I, I, we, I, I, I can say we're lucky enough that historians were always consulted, but the, I mean, the expectations from players is much higher nowadays than it was before because there was nothing like it when Assassin's Creed One was released. Uh, houses were blocks on the, on the screen of the player, whereas now we can see so many details with 4K and 8K screens, and so there are more expectations regarding historical authenticity. There are more discussions. Uh, which I can see as something that's very interesting. Uh, if people are questioning themselves or even questioning the game, that's always very interesting. And in the way that we're making the games, also, I think we try to be more conscious of, of the choices that are made, of the consequences of, of historical subjects. 
so that it's it's not just talking about the past it's also talking to people in the modern day so there's that sense i think that adds weight to the the process of game making but it's interesting i think genuinely game developers like challenges so this is just one more of them so yeah so i suppose that uh, emphasis on the discovery tools and, and your roles and of talking to different partners and using it educationally that also shows i suppose that that sort of increased interest in how the games can be used more widely yeah definitely i mean if uh, i joined ubisoft in 2010 so just a little bit after the second assassin's creed was released and ever since i joined i was told that teachers professors were interested and museums were interested in using the game or were already using it but that was very very small minority and they had the limit that the game was m-rated so not not necessarily uh, easy to bring into a classroom or into a museum and the game experience also was not was not easy because you'd have to fight your way through a, a village or like you'd have to fight through Notre Dame the cathedral whereas we just you know we just wanted to have a stroll and and enjoy the historical elements out of it so that really sparked the idea that we should invest into into creating something that would be useful for schools for museums and, and even for for families and and everyone basically I've seen so many people now take the controller for the first time in their life because they could play with the discovery tool and they could enjoy going to these digital environments. Whereas before they would have been afraid to take on Assassin's Creed and I understand why. So that's really what sparked the idea. Uh, it made us uh, adapt a lot and try to adapt a lot to the educational sphere. But to be to be super honest, I am aware and the company I think is aware that the discovery tour is not perfect and it's all right i mean we do our best to get it adapted for for classrooms and we work hand in hand with teachers i mean there's not a, a week that passes where i don't have any discussion with a museum or teacher on trying to find the best solution for them or for us to get the game into their classroom or for us to adapt the game to get into their classroom later on but there's not that many companies that are making games like the discovery tour as far as i'm aware we're pretty much the only one out there with that kind of quality uh, that can be brought into the classroom. And it was great. I mean, it was, it was great fun to, to work with you guys and see how you did it and see that you took on all my annoying comments <laughs> and little pernickety things. I kept coming back, emails back and forth saying, well, this isn't quite right. Quite, quite used to wording. And you'd, you'd sort of come back and respect that, which, uh, which it was just, you know, a great thing to see. Now, of course, one of the things that's important when you play a game like this is that it's a narrative. So there's a storytelling. This it's not you're not just going in to learn facts or anything like that. If like you might be doing if you just go to a museum, but it's very much narrative driven uh, as all of these games. Can you talk a little bit about that and and why that is important? Yes, yeah, <laughs> as humans, I think this is something that that has been interesting for mankind for the species for so long telling a story or, or being told a story and whether it's it's a it's an amazing book like river kings which i've i've read a couple of times now uh and, and, thank you and we we get on with that we get on with the narrative we get on with that that storytelling i think that's super compelling and a product like the discovery tour viking age adapted to that reality with the two first discovery tours we created a, a digital museum basically where we had guided tours and i think that there was a lot of value in that way of working but with the latest one in the viking age we knew that we wanted to adapt to to create a storyline so it's a fictive storyline but that makes sense in, in in many ways in the past and because we care for the the people that we're looking after when we're playing 
I think we're learning more because even if we're learning a little less, what we're learning is is super important. There's that sense of human experience from the past, their struggles, and and I think this, that sense of empathy is much stronger when we're playing someone's history or or uh, you know seeing their feelings more deeply than if we're being told. So I really strongly believe in this, and and that's true for for documentaries. It's it's true for for so many mediums where we we really enjoy carrying on with that storyline. Absolutely. I think you're so right there. And I think this is probably why it's got that power to get people interested in history who might not think they're interested in history, who just were bored with it at school as well, because suddenly there is that narrative and there's there's, there's, there's people, there's choices. You sort of, you realise that you, if you lived in the past a thousand years ago, you still had the same things happening to you in life. You still had to make choices. You still had to make decisions. And I guess it sort of brings people almost that bit closer to real human lives, even though they are fake human lives but, but even so there's sort of it's that closeness isn't it i suppose to, to human experiences yeah it's and and i mean some things are are very are going to be likewise because it's a human experience but then some elements might be so different and striking that this is where the learning might start because then we realize oh that's different why is it that different and and that's where i think the reflection can begin this being said, I do want to say that, of course, that doesn't replace fundamental research and experimental research. Uh, we can exist because experimental research and fundamental research are being carried. We're a result of that. We're not, we're not at the forefront of, of research. Uh, so I, I just want to be thankful for, for people like you, Kat, and other, uh, other people who are, who are doing so much hard work and trying to get these finds. And, and really, that amazes me a lot. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not going to be out of a job because of Ubisoft. That's good to know. But just okay. So talking about narratives then, because of course you've got a storyline running through all of this, but you keep bringing up new uh, updates as well to the game. So even when people have finished the the one story and the one game, new things keep coming out. Can you tell me about the latest updates to the AC Valhalla game? So it's, it's crazy because Assassin's Creed Valhalla was released in 2020. And for the first time, we have a second year content update, which is uh, Dawn of Ragnarok, releasing March 10, and, and which will take players into a whole new new worlds of, with, with the dwarf kingdoms of Norse mythology. And it's super interesting because people have been, are so compelled with Assassin's Creed Valhalla that it, it pushes the company to continue to create uh, a lot of material and because the time period is so interesting and there's so much to say about the viking age and their beliefs and their people that i think we we have so much inspiration to continue and and create more more content for for players but lastly i'm also super happy because we will have console versions for discovery tour viking age and this is the first time and what that will allow is that anyone can can enjoy discovery tour without necessarily having to go on and play Assassin's Creed Valhalla, for instance. So it's just another way for schools and, and museums to get access to the game. And I'm very thankful for that. It's fantastic. Well, I can't get over the, the sheer numbers of people that this is, is reaching. And I think it is such a good collaboration is the fact that you're, as you just said, you know, you're using the work of the researchers and the academics and then your games can provide entertainment and joy and happiness to people, but it can also provide that sort of springboard um, and it can be used educationally in museums and schools. So I think it really is something that, that seems to have developed into something quite, quite powerful and it's quite exciting to see how it's going to go from here, I think. <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, Kat. It's, uh, it's, it has been a, a wonder to work with you, uh, to collaborate on that project, and it's been great also to be uh, your guest today. Thank you so much. This was Maxim Duran talking about AC Valhalla and the Discovery Tour. This has been an episode of Gone Medieval from History Hit. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And you can subscribe to our newsletter, Medieval Mondays. Just look in the episode notes to tell you how to do that. And hopefully we'll have you joining us again next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History Hit. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.